0: Well, I want to give a brief explanation of why we're not in James and why I'm wearing a t-shirt on Sunday morning and why you have a different cover in your bulletin, which looks like my t-shirt and what is on the PowerPoint. I can't really read the first half of that because it's in French and I'm not even going to try. Um, It says what the English says below, be great, serve Philippians chapter 2. Uh, myself and my two older sons, Paul and Elijah, are headed to Cameroon later this day. you an old friend, and he's here today, but in God's providence, he was not able to get his visa. The Cameroon government didn't release it, and we're still hoping that he gets it in the next couple days, and would you pray that he would be able to join us even this week? Um, if not, Lord willing, he'll go another time. Our desire in Cameroon is, first of all, to minister to our fellow members and our missionaries, Brian and Heather and Phoebe McFell-Fossey. They, if you're a member here, you're covenanted with them. I'm their pastor, one of their pastors, and we're going to serve them and encourage them. They are serving churches and pastors to help healthy churches being planted in, especially in Cameroon in general, but specifically in the capital city of Yonday. And so that's one of the reasons. I also pray that it will just have a great discipleship time with my two sons, that God will work in their life and in my life, and that I will spiritually grow, and I will be a better shepherd, pastor, and follower of Jesus because of this trip, and they will as well. I also pray that, and I ask you to pray that we will have eyes to see how I, not only I, but you can better partner, not just with Brian and Heather, but Pastors and churches and the cause of Christ in the city of Yonde and in Cameroon, because God in His providence has given us two missionaries now, Tom Steller and Brian and Heather, who are in Cameroon, 10 minutes away, and we have a heart, our hearts must be knit to this continent, this country, and to the city. Lastly, I'm going to be teaching to pastors during the second week of my visit in a pastor's conference, and I'd ask that you'd pray that I would be a blessing and be blessed by them. While I'm there, I'm going to preach to these pastors on the letter of Philippians, four aspects of spiritual leadership. You see, Christians see things differently. They surrender, they serve, and they sing. They sing with their life, according to Philippians. So I want to bring to you some of my studies that I did over the last few weeks, last few months. In fact, we're really going to be in a play Wednesday nights. I'd ask you to please join us on Wednesday nights. It's a time of equipping, studying the word together in a more discussionary way, and then we pray together as a church body. So when I graduated from Bible colleges, that was like decades ago. That was in 1998. When I graduated in 1998, and I received a diploma and a white towel. And on the white towel was engraved, embroidered, be great, serve. This was a Bible college training pastors and missionaries and Christians to live their lives in service. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. I'm going to jump into the middle or towards the end of a paragraph or a story as Jesus is teaching his disciples. This is not the main text of the sermon, but I want you to note this. This is, a, this is a heart's cry today by a pastor to members and to attenders, to those that are part of our church. And if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, I'm glad you're here because it's also an invitation to the greatest service ever possible. But in Mark 10, 42, Jesus, after in some ways rebuking his disciples who are so focused on being first and getting first place, they were so focused about being honored by others because they were with Jesus. They wanted the attention. They wanted the honor. They wanted to be served. And Jesus rebukes them when he says in verse 42, when he called them to him and he said to them, you know... Verse 42, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, that's really the heathen, the non-believers, they lord it over them, and note, their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. And whoever, but whoever would be great among you Must be your servant. If you're a Bible underliner, that's a worthwhile phrase. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave or servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Faith Church... My call to you this morning is this, be great, serve. Pursue true greatness that Jesus is talking about in this of all because Jesus has served you. Friends, who are you called to serve? You're called to serve each other in this room today. You're going to take communion in a little bit, and you're going to walk up here, and you're going to look at each other. Those are the people you're called to serve for the rest of your life. You're called to serve your spouse you're called to serve your parents. You're called to serve your children. You're called to serve your coworkers, your boss, your employees. You're called to serve your neighbors, your enemies, your friends, your family. You're called to serve your missionaries. You're called to serve the people of Cameroon. People who are made in the image of Jesus Christ, bought by his blood, brought into your life. And Jesus says in Matthew, Mark 10, that I just read, you need to have a servant's heart. And I I want to show you a servant's heart from the letter of Philippians. We're going to have to turn to a lot of pages, and it's worth writing down some of these references. But I want to give you a definition because servant's heart can sound like a cliche. Oh, I know we're supposed to have a servant's heart. We've become familiar enough with it that it's not so much a shock anymore when you hear the call to have a servant's heart. But I want to give you a definition of a servant's heart given from the letter of Philippians. What I saw throughout Philippians. It's for moms and dads and husbands and wives and single and divorced and teenagers and children and grandparents, retired seniors. It's for Christians. Here it is. You have it. It's going to be up on the screen and it's in your Bulletin or the sheet that you should have got when you came in. It's a, a long sentence. A servant's heart says this This is what a servant's heart says to myself. Knowing that I've been served to the uttermost, I will seek to imitate Christ by joyfully and sacrificially pursuing the good of others above myself with humility and dependence on Christ, his strength. And for his praise and my everlasting joy. I know it's a lot here. But friends, our church would be turned upside down. The world would see Jesus in a way that it needs to see Jesus. If we embrace this kind of heart. A servant's heart is this. I'm going to say it one more time. But I'm going to repeat it and throw out this message. And as we look, we unpack it from the letter of Philippians. Knowing that I have been served... To the uttermost, I will seek to imitate Christ by joyfully and sacrificially pursuing the good of others above myself with humility and dependence on Christ's strength. And I do it all for His praise and my joy that will last forever. I know it's a big definition. Let's look at this. I got five points for you this morning. Number one, let's look at them in order. Number one, a servant's heart is rooted and modeled in the love of Christ. The other four points talk about why we serve in some ways and what manner we serve. But I want to get you to the root of the matter here. The the root of a servant's heart is a servant's heart is rooted and modeled in the Christ's love. Knowing that I have been served to the uttermost, I will seek to imitate Christ. I want to say to you, Faith Church, or if you're visiting this morning, you don't have to serve unless you've already been served. Unless he has already died for you. If he's already rose from the dead for you. If he is in heaven right now praying for you. If he is working all things together for good. Even your salvation and your being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Only if that's true for you, then are you called to serve. And see, the point that I want to get here is our service is always rooted. I'm going to say, serve one another in this room. Serve your children. Serve people in your neighborhood. Serve the lost. Serve other believers. Lay down your life for them. But you never do it in order to get God to love you, you do it because he already did love you and does love you, and he has served you in a way that you could never serve back. And this is not an attempt to try to serve him back and try to pay it back in different forms. No, it's the kind of, he has served me. I know it's, a, it's an old word, to the uttermost, to the oomph degree. He has done it infinity. Because of that, I can, and I am freed, and I am energized to serve. That is how disciples of Jesus serve and serve with all their heart. There are many places in the letter of Philippians that I see Paul saying, you're going to serve, and it's all rooted in Jesus. But the passage I read in Philippians 2 at the beginning, look at verse 1. He has put his spirit in you. He has given you this book. He has given you God's people, and they are meant to be family. They're forever family. The members in this church are meant to be your forever family, forever, eternity. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of his love, any fellowship, any of this... He says, now then be a servant. Then lay down your life for others. Then care for one another. You see, it's all rooted in what he has done. The reality is if you're saved, he has died for you and he's risen from the dead for you. And he promises to work all things together for good, for your joy so you'll know him forever. And he is in heaven right now praying for you and he has prepared a place for you. And he's coming again and our future is incredibly bright. He has served you, and if we're going to be glad-hearted, humble, laying down our life, serving to the glory of God, the only way possible is that our hearts spring from joy in what He did for us. He served us. There's a sense in which we're going to say we're servants of Jesus Christ only because He first served us. Mark 10, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for us. How glorious. He has served you to the uttermost. The whole New Testament, the whole Bible says he's served you to the uttermost. Do you serve from that strength? You, you can't outserve him. It's, he says, if we said, Jesus, I serve you. It's as though he would answer, but I serve you more. We have a little thing when every every night, almost when I tuck my 10-year-old Mary in bed, I pray with her and hug her and kiss her. And I say to her, I love you a million times or a trillion times around the moon. Or if she beats me to it, she says that. And the, the response by either me or her is, I love you more. We could say, I've given all. I serve everything to you, Jesus. And he says, I love you more. My hands that are pierced for you, show it. My feet, my side, and my ongoing everyday commitment. And Paul is going to say in this letter of Philippians, so imitate this Jesus, with your mind, your attitude. That's what I read when I read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He says, have this mind. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. He did not consider his status as God, the Son of God, as something to be grasped. But he abandoned that and took on the form of a slave, a servant. He he shocked the disciples in the Last Supper, the night that he was betrayed, we're going to... Remember the Lord's Supper here. He grabbed a towel and a basin, and he started to wash his disciples' feet, and they were were scandalized because he, their master, shouldn't do that. And he looked at him and he says, Don't you understand what real greatness is? Real greatness is laying down your life. It is serving. It is being a slave to all. See what I'm doing? Go and do likewise. This is a mark of my people. John chapter 13. Do you know that you have been served to the uttermost? And I want to say to you, if you're here, the Lord Jesus has served you to the uttermost. If you would receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you've never been, had your sins, forgiveness, sins forgiven or you don't know that your sins are forgiven, if you don't know that you're going to go to heaven someday, if you don't know that God's for you, I want to offer you to the greatest news is that God sent his son Jesus. And if you will but believe in him and accept him and take his word for it and trust in him, he becomes your savior and your master because amazingly, this master serves his people. Oh, he's not somebody to be manipulated. He's not some vending machine which we pray and he just goes at our own bidding. That's not the way he is. He's too good for that. He's too loving for that. He wouldn't give us something so poor as such an arrangement. But, oh, he has and never stops working for our good every day and moment of our lives. We have been lavished by his grace we have been given a new heart if we're christians we have a constant intercessor and that's jesus and he is praying for us let us imitate jesus what does it look like for you to wash your disciple your wash the feet of those around you what does it mean to wash to care for and to serve your parents your children your spouse your coworkers your neighbor Those that are really difficult in your life, those that hurt you, those that you would struggle with being bitter at. Do you think that you've been served? Do you know that Jesus has served you? We don't deserve his grace. We have an opportunity to serve out of his strength. A servant heart knows that we've been served to the uttermost and imitates Christ. The second thing I want you to see, number two, a servant's heart is mannered with joy and sacrifice. I, I, w- I wish I could invite you to a life, uh, a, a year-long study of Philippians again, because Philippians is awesome, and in that we find the happiest letter in the New Testament, as Paul says calls us to joy over and over again as he's in prison serving those, him and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. You see, serving, having a servant's heart knows that Christ has served us to the uttermost. We imitate Christ and we do it joyfully and sacrificially. Joyfully. Paul is going to say this right away in this letter in verse 4 of chapter 1. I pray for you all the time and you make my prayers with joy when I think of this. He's serving in prayer with joy. And in verse... Chapter 4, verse 4, he says to the church, Rejoice in the Lord always, you servants of God. Faith, church, rejoice in the Lord always. You're going to be called to serve, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be difficult, and there's a type of rejoicing that you're supposed to have. Chapter 2, verse 14, he's going to plead with the church, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know grumbling? No grumbling. No grumbling. No complaining, no moaning, no whining. Why? So that you'll be a shining light to the world, he says, so that you'll be blameless and innocent children of God in which you shine as lights in a crooked and twisted generation. You're shining as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. That is, he has given you life. He is your light. Now, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Paul... astounds us in this letter. And it causes. he gives us a picture to imitate. And in verse 17 of chapter 2, he's going to say, even if I'm poured out in my service to you you for your faith, even if I'm poured out, I rejoice and am glad because my joy is to see that you grow, which is going to be the next point in just a minute here. You see, and Paul says, the type of service of being great, following Jesus, doing what he has called us to do is sacrificial. And i want to say to you, sacrificial is hard. It hurts. It costs. He says in chapter 2, I want you to honor people like Epaphroditus, 29 and 30. He risked his life. To complete what was lacking in your service. That's the kind of service you're called to. But my life for you. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, Philippians 1.21. I sometimes wonder where we are in our real faith and our understanding of these things because we live in such a comfortable American lifestyle. I do. What sacrifice do we put to serve one another? What spending of our time and our money, of our energy and our talents? Think about what Jesus sacrificed in order to serve us. That is how we are to serve the person that's sitting in the row next to you. For the rest of your life, you're called to serve. You are commissioned as servants of Jesus Christ to joyfully and sacrificially serve. Number three, main point, a servant's heart is focused selflessly on others' greatest good. Or going to my definition again, knowing that I've been served to the uttermost, I will seek to imitate Christ by joyfully and sacrificially pursuing the good of others above myself. You realize you and I are called to pursue the good of others above ourselves. We are to pursue the good of others. We are to help to pursue what's best for them. We live in a world that ignores the soul. We embrace worldly things. We live in a world that's full of self and is selfish. And a servant's heart says... I'm going to care about my children's soul more than I care about their career. I'm going to care more about the people in this room and I'm going to care about their faith in Jesus Christ and that's why I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to care for them. I'm going to sacrifice for them. I'm going to care for that part which will never end. I'm going to care for my neighbor who if he or she does not receive Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell but I, instead, I want that person to enjoy Jesus forever because Jesus is worth it and because I care for her or care for him. And a true servant's heart cares to pursue the good of others above ourselves. Uh, I could point you to a lot of places in Philippians about this. They, he pursues the good of others. Turn to Philippians one twenty-two. Philippians one twenty-two. Paul says, If I'm going to live in the flesh or the body, he had just said for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am pressed hard between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This was Paul's heart. Paul's heart was to say, though it would be more comfortable to be free, he was in prison by that time, to be out of prison and with Jesus and to be out of his body, who is probably already suffering already, and be with Jesus. He says, it is better for me to be here on this earth. And if I'm on this earth, my goal and my mission is for members of Philippi Church. And this should be for us, that members of Faith Church, members of your family, members in your neighborhood, that they would grow or they would faith in Jesus Christ. That is your calling. You are not just saved to sit on the sidelines and tell heaven. It is to have the most joyful reality of following Jesus, to be amazingly an opportunity, an instrument, a tool of helping others grow in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's why you exist, and that is what your service is all about, and it was for Paul. Even so, that Paul, at the end of this letter, He's going to finish the letter, and the the letter to the Philippian church, the Philippians had given a lot of offerings to Paul so that Paul would be supported in many of his missionary works. They were a sending church. They were a loving church, and he writes to them, and he says, he says, I'm thankful for the gifts that you've given to me, but he says, not that I seek the gift, Philippians 4, 17. But I seek the fruit that increases to your, and he means spiritual credit. He says, I, I long for fruit in your life. That's all, he's just, he's focused on them and their spiritual growth. If you believe in Jesus this morning, if you're a Christian If you're growing in any way, think about the people that God put in your life that helped you grow. It's more than likely that somebody has pursued your spiritual good beyond just Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. That was of God. And God intends for you to be that for other people. People that are older than you and people that are younger than you. People that have been a Christian longer than you and not as long. But if you and I are going to have a servant's heart, because we know that we've been served by Jesus, and we want to imitate him, and we want to joyfully, sacrificially pursue the good of others, this week your goal is to pursue the good of your family for Jesus' sake you're to pursue their faith in Christ Jesus. You might say what does that mean? Okay, it means it means I'm going to pray for them this week. I'm going to pray daily for them by name. I'm going to start to take and write down prayer lists. I'm going to I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to read the Bible so because I need to be the kind of person so I could help my children or my parents or my neighbor or my coworker. I need to pursue the good of others and so that I need to be the kind of person I need to be. And I I need to do it with a mindset that says they're more important. I'm going to do it above myself. I view it above myself. Paul Paul tells Christians to do with something that is, is so radically, I should say even impossible, to do over an extended period of time. You are to care for people above yourself. He says it. In the passage I read it before I prayed this morning when he says that you he says put others above yourself consider others more significant than yourself look not to your own interests but to the interests of others so I Paul would say as he writes and he says take note of Timothy Philippians 2 would you stare at that for a minute look at Philippians 2:19 Philippians 2.19. I want to be like Timothy. I hope you want to be like Timothy. Can I give you a category? Let's be members of faith church like Timothy. So what Paul says about Timothy. I hoped in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon. See, Timothy is from their church, and Timothy was sent to help him out. He's probably helping him while Paul is in prison in Rome. I want him to send him so that he'll be cheered by news that you'll be cheered by news of him. For, and then look at 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your interests or welfare. Verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. What he says about Timothy is Timothy is so genuinely concerned for your welfare. And if you're a Christian, you know that the greatest is a welfare that lasts forever. It's it's growth in the faith. It's really knowing Jesus and trusting in him. And he says, I hope, he says, he will care for others' interests. Others care for their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. But, oh, Timothy cares about the interests of Jesus Christ by seeking the welfare of others. I wonder how we're doing. I just, I ask you to consider with the mindset of James, because James has been saying and hitting us over the head in chapters one and two, be hearers of the word and doers. Have faith that has works. How might you this week Selflessly seek the good of others for their spiritual welfare. That person who needs Christ. That person that is really messed up. That person that annoys you. That person that's in your home that needs your repentance, your forgiveness, or your confession of your sin. Number four, Fourthly, about what a servant's heart is, a servant's heart is humbled and dependent on Christ's grace. Humbled and dependent on Christ's grace. These kinds of servants are not show-offs in their service. In humility, they consider others more significant than themselves. And brothers and sisters, God's grace towards us should humble us. What do you have in your life that you have not received from God? Could you tell me one thing? Is there one thing, one talent, one measure of your wealth, of your walk with God, your relationship with Jesus, that you have that you haven't received from Him? That's the logic that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians So if you've received it from him, why do you act as though you earned it yourself or got it on yourself? There is no room for boasting, but only humility for the servants of Jesus Christ. Because all that we have is from God's grace. And he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or show it off, but in humility. Be like Jesus who humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He forsook and surrendered his ease and his dignity and his rights and his comfort and his freedom and said, I'm going to obey the father. And he gave of himself. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility, Peter says. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The problem is far too often we think we're better than others. We Look down our noses at people. We see them and they're weird. They're messed up. They're a problem. They're irritating. They're the problem. Who are you before God got a hold of you? The grace of God humbles us. To see ourselves as the servant of everyone. And we are to do it with dependence on God. There is no way you can this week be a type of servant that Paul tells us to be, that Jesus tells us to be in Mark 10, that this shirt says, be great, serve. There's no way you can do it. To be sacrificial, humble, joyful, Seeking the good of others, imitating Jesus in your own sweat, your own strength, in your own way. Jesus said in Matthew, and John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And towards the end of this letter, Paul is going to say to them, I've learned a type of contentment in all of this sacrificial service that I am calling you to. And he says in verse 13, the very famous verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't serve that person in the hospital in my own strength and be a help to them. I can't can't follow through with my good intentions from Sunday morning unless he strengthens me, but he will promise to strengthen me. I cannot this week... Be sacrificial to that person because she has done this to me. But I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I can trust in him to be the servant that is trusting in him because he gives me strength. The longer we grow as a Christian... The deeper we grow, the more mature we grow as a Christian, the more we'll realize how absolutely and utterly dependent we've always been and will be forever on God and His grace. All we do is, and we start to rely on Him in a new way, knowing that He is our strength. Otherwise, if we're not relying on His strength, humbled by His grace, knowing that we've been served to the uttermost, you could set out over the next weeks, months, and year to say, I'm going to be the biggest servant at Faith Church. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to get in everybody's life. I'm going to pray for everybody. I'm going to go after everybody, any neighbor, any need. And if you're doing it in your own sweat, your own strength, and your own effort, without being rooted in what He did for you, humbled by his grace, you're going to have a martyr mentality, self-pity because they don't thank you enough, and look around at everybody else judging how they don't serve like you, don't, like you serve. Instead of knowing God brings us along at different paces, and any meaningful service that you will have Will only be because of his strength, his grace, rooted out of his love for you. It is all his grace. See, when that happens, when others are blessed, we don't quickly go, pat me on the back, we go to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the final point. Look at number five. A servant's heart is consumed with Christ. And his praise. Again, I don't have the ability to just walk you through slowly the different ways in which Paul and the other authors they they do everything because Jesus, they want Jesus to be praised, they love Jesus, they want to honor him. What's behind that? It's not like it's just this cliche that they say, I know that's supposed to happen. That's my duty, so I'm going to do my duty. My duty is to honor and praise Jesus, so let's do it. But there you go. The servant's heart is consumed with Christ and his praise. He seeks and pursues the good of others above themselves with humility and dependence on Christ's strength for his praise. There is something about someone when we love them When a young son loves his father and his dad pats him on his head and says, good job, son, and he just beams with joy because he pleased dad and he loves that because he loves dad. So we are to love Jesus and rejoice in that we get to show him off with our service to the world We serve those who would look at us and say, why would you do that for us? In fact, I believe that in the coming weeks and years, you and I will have opportunities to serve in a way that it's going to hurt you and cost you, and they'll look at you and say, why did you do that? Nobody does that. And our answer can only be, if it's rooted in a servant's heart of the scriptures, to praise Jesus, because I want to show you what he's done for me. I want you to see praises like declaring the goodness of who he is. He's generous. He's forgiving. He serves like nobody else serves. He laid down his life for me. You can know him too. For his praise. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 20, For me to live is Christ." what it is. It's it's Christ. To me to live, it's Christ. If I die, it's gain. But if I keep on, it's just fruitful labor for Him. Because I want you to have to glory in Christ Jesus, verse 26. Jesus showed this to us. He served so the Father would be honored. Last thing I want you to see. True greatness that serves is pursuing the best thing for themselves forever. There's a difference. I'm not saying go pursue your selfish ends. I'm not saying that. But the way the Bible speaks over and over again in the New Testament is the duty of a Christian is actually a duty that ends up being that which leads to the greatest joy everlasting. Paul the Apostle is constantly telling the church in Philippi, in Philippians, serve, lay down your life for one another, be like Jesus, have the mind of Christ, look not to your own interests, the interests of others, consider others more significant, be like Timothy, be like Epaphroditus, imitate me, treasure Christ above all things. And he says in chapter 320, for our citizenship is in heaven and we wait a Savior The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly, decaying, broken, suffering, hurting bodies into his glorious body with strength and might that he is at work and subdues all things. Paul says, I am sure of this, church, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. There's the day coming that you are all looking to. The day of Christ is coming and the reward is coming in which we will bow before the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior who was slain for us, has served us eternally and we will worship and enjoy Him forever. Do you view the people in your life? You got them. Do you view the people in your life The people in this room, as people that God has called you to serve, they're people that God has called you to show off Jesus to, may he someday say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and we will say, only because of your grace. called it a heart, a servant's heart. It's an attitude. It's a demeanor. It's a disposition. It's what Paul meant when he said, have this mind in yourself that was also in Christ Jesus. He took on the form of a servant and laid his life down. Have this heart. It's an attitude. It's a growing character. And friends, this is something that grows. It's a heart that comes from God And he shapes it in our heart over time as we obey and look to his word. And we seek to follow him in this. And I want to finish by going back to number one, the first point of this sermon. Everything is rooted in the fact that knowing that I have been served to the uttermost. Friends, have you been served to the uttermost? Has he died for you? Is he praying for you right now? Has he given his spirit? Has he given you a new heart? Has he given you a bright future forever? Has he promised to never stop doing you good? Has he given you the promises in this word? Has he shown you himself having been served to the uttermost? That's where I follow Jesus. I can then forgive and give. I can surrender my freedom and my comfort and my ease and my rights and my ambitions and my dignity, like Jesus did and like Paul did, and like God's people do. So that others would see, see how they love one another. By Their love, you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciple, Jesus says. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave. We serve because he served, is serving, and serves our greatest need. Imagine if the singles in this room, the young adults, imagine if dads, served with a servant heart. And and moms, grandparents, and teenagers, and unmarried. Imagine what a difference it would make. Jesus said to us, have I not come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help me. Help the the members of Faith Church, those that are here this morning. I pray for the pastors in Cameroon. I pray for the missionaries we support. I pray for the pastors in the city, or these cities. I pray for the congregations around us pray for the Christians. I pray that we'd be so rooted and gripped by the the word of life that we've been loved and served to the uttermost. Oh God, I pray that it would be so deeply rooted in our hearts that from there we would serve, imitating Christ in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.